Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to sharing in the meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles and signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising the Lord and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Hub City Church, how are we doing? Good. Well, it is good to be together. I always love... uh, Sharon, uh, what God has put on my heart. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Tyler, um, and I'm excited to uh, be here today with you. Uh, as Tanner mentioned, uh, we are continuing our series on rhythms. We're diving into the early church um, seen in Acts 2, and we can look at this as the foundation of the church. Um, and these practices, these rhythms, um, they're essential, and we need to adopt uh, these rhythms, I-, I believe. And last week, Pastor Josh Uh, talked about the importance of gathering on Sunday mornings as the church. And this morning, we're gonna kind of talk about something similar, but also very different at the same time. We're talking about this idea, uh, this rhythm of fellowship, uh, the connection with people through small and intimate gatherings. Um, And this morning, um, I might sound like uh, I'm giving you Tyler's top 10 uh, ways of how to get friends in church um, or how to get a wife in church because that was my experience. Um, I'm not guaranteeing that, that you're gonna, you're gonna get that type of relationship from this, but instead, um, can we not have that approach of this is how we make friends and uh, this is the best way to do it, but can we... Um, Approach this morning with the mindset that fellowship is something that God is asking you to invest in. This is crucial. Um, I I believe it's essential. Um, This is a foundation of being a Jesus follower, okay? And here's what I'm gonna ask you to do this morning. You get to participate. Ooh, is that that fun? You don't have to say anything or stand up or do anything. But uh, this morning... um, I'm someone who likes to tell stories, um, either that make myself look really cool and really awesome, like I know what I'm doing, or the opposite, where I'm like, dude, that guy hasn't messed up and he doesn't know what, what he's doing. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to put yourself in the spotlight. This is about you uh, and your relationship with God. I'm gonna be talking about myself a little bit, but I want you to be in the spotlight. And from there, I want you to let God speak to you because God is speaking to you and he's gonna transform your heart and he's gonna make you new. That's what Jesus is in the business of doing. So can we do that together this morning? All right, let's do it. Uh, Before we dive in, I'd love to just uh, pray over this message. Lord, we thank you uh, for Hub City Church and that we get to be a family that is centered around you. Jesus, we just ask that you are glorified and you are praised with everything we do and say this morning. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so what is fellowship? Uh, 
for me, when I think of fellowship, the first things that come to mind um, are like the Avengers. Um, I just watched through all of the Avengers movie. My wife is pregnant and she was sleeping a lot. So when she would fall asleep, I'd watch the Avengers movies. Um, I also think about Scooby-Doo and the gang. Uh, anybody Scooby-Doo fans? Dude, come on. It's so good. I love it. I think about uh, the gang and, and the mystery van. That's kind of a fellowship. Um, and also I think about uh, Lord of the Rings, the fellowship of the ring, right? I was joking with some people. I was like, dude, I should just like put the movie on this morning. And that's the message today. Let's just watch Lord of the Rings uh, and learn from Frodo, um, right? But we're not going to do that. Um, but that's what I think about, right, uh, when I think about fellowship. Do you guys have any uh, teams or fellowships that come to mind when you think about that? You can blurt it out. Sports. There's my guy. Go Mariners. We're going to leave it at that. Anything else? Family, ooh, that's good, I like that. Let's do one more. Organizations, cool. So what makes uh, Scooby-Doo and the gang a fellowship? What makes the Avengers a team? What makes uh, Frodo and all those uh, dudes a fellowship? They share victories, right? Um, they have a similar occupation or they have a similar calling. They have these desires, uh, these goals that are the same. They participate in the same mission. So now I want you to imagine if Iron Man had to take on Thanos all by himself. No way, right? What if Scooby-Doo didn't have Shaggy? That breaks my heart, man. What if Frodo walked into Mordor by himself? No, there wouldn't even be a story about that, right? Fellowship requires to do things together, to share experiences, to share victories and failures. It requires to do life together. So what does fellowship look like in the context of us following Jesus together? So the Greek word, um, we're gonna get all fancy on you. Um, the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. Hopefully I'm saying that right. We're just gonna go with it. Which has this idea of association, communion, fellowship, participation. Simply it means to share together. So your life as a, a Christ follower is meant to be uh, one of fellowship. In other words, to share with one another. We share the same Jesus, right? We're all on the same team there. We share the same guide for our life, the Holy Spirit. We share the same love for our God. We share the desire to worship God. We share struggles, right? We all have struggles. We all share victories. We share the same job for living for him and the joy of spreading the good news. This life is meant to be done together. And there's this uh, poet, his name is John Donne, um, and it, it says, no man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the, of the continent, a part of the main, right? We are meant to do things together. We are not our own private islands. And we see uh, that Jesus chooses to share in moments and in victories and failures with important people through his life. Jesus is found uh, having fellowship in crowds. He's, uh, he's got his 12, right, the 12 disciples. He has three disciples that he's really tight with. When Jesus invests in something, that kinda like makes a light bulb go off in our head and said, oh, I should invest in that too because Jesus is investing in that as well. Acts 242, uh, part of this scripture that we are hanging out in for this series says, all the believers devoted themselves 
to fellowship. I wanna ask you this morning, are you devoted to fellowship, to sharing in moments, victories, failures, all these things with other people? Are you devoted to that? This can be kind of a tough question, I think. It's a potent question that can cause guilt. Right? It, it can cause pain. It can remind you that you have a lack of community. Bring up a frustration with God that you have remained lonely and lonely and lonely for a long time. Right? But at the same time, this is a tough question that we need to encounter. Are you devoted to community? Because fellowship, as we're, we're learning, is this crucial rhythm that we need uh, to have in our lives. And Man, if you would have asked me this question or if I would have asked myself this question about four years ago, I probably would have cried. Because this, this question is, is painful for me. There was a deep desire and devotion to have fellowship. Man, I just, I wanted to have friends. I wanted to have close friends. Um, I wanted to share life. But really this fellowship in my life was missing for like 22 years. I'm 26 now, almost 27, I'm getting old. Right, so kind of the beginning of my story, I went to a school called Mount Vernon Christian and I had the privilege of going there kindergarten through 12th grade. I did the long haul. I was at the same school and this was my family. I think there was eight of us in my school that went all the way from kindergarten to 12th grade. There, that, I, know, I knew those people from the time I was five or younger uh, to the time I was 18. Like that is a long time to spend with eight people. Uh, you know, it's, it's a long time and I felt like I was a son of that community, right? Uh, man, people know the Houtsmas, right? Like, we, we were just there. Um, and then uh, after I graduated, something kind of funky happened with relationships, and there was a rumor spread about me, and all of a sudden I was, like, disconnected from that community. And it, it was so hard for me to, to go into this season of college and have, like, no community. It was really hard. And then I went through relationship roller coaster with friends and mentors of investing in them and them investing in me, and then they just decided to leave, giving up, not investing. It was a one-sided relationship. And then uh, I moved to Bellingham uh, to go to college, and then I was trying to invest in these, these small groups uh, with, with some dudes, and I tried to connect, but I could not break through the, the cliques, the, 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 the relationships that have been formed for a long time. And I, I would just, I would sit there and cry because I, I was, I was, needing this fellowship. I wanted it, I was craving it, but I, I wasn't getting it. And then my wife and I, uh, I think we were uh, dating or uh, engaged at the time, we were craving young uh, married couples or, or couples that were in the same season as us. We were just all by, our, our, by ourselves and, and we were hanging out with people like 30 years older than us, which you guys are cool, right? But we, we wanted to be with people in the same season as us. We felt alone. We felt like we were on our own island. Cameron and I continued to pray and pray and pray, yet we felt like we were on our own. We were devoted to this idea of fellowship, but it was like, dude, God, you're not, you're not devoted to this. We are praying for this. We are craving this. God, this is something that you promise us, right? But we're not getting it. Luckily, we misjudged God's heart. God's nature is wrapped in fellowship, and he wants that for his kids too, for his creation. Uh, and fast forwarding a little bit, one Sunday morning about four years ago, uh, a young couple walked in, and my eyes were 
there's young people here, they're married or they're like together, right? And, and I put on a brave face um, and I go up to them and introduce myself. Um, and then I did a bold thing that I never do. I asked them on a friend date. I, I actually invited myself to their home, um, which was kind of bold of me, uh, right? But that night consisted of right away, someone almost cut their finger off, right? It was, it was a great time. And then we ate tacos, I remember it like it was yesterday, and then we sat on the couch and we talked for hours, and it felt like we'd been friends for decades. I get emotional talking about this. Then another couple came, what, this is crazy, more young people? And then they, they said that they were interested in joining the worship team, and that, like, oh my gosh, I love music, I love to worship, I was the worship uh, coordinator at the time, and I remember that rehearsal too. We, we, we rehearsed, and I wanted to see if they were you know, able to play, um, and I was like, these guys are amazing. And then we started playing Katy Perry together um, on our instruments. It was kind of weird, but also super fun, right? And then we started talking to each other, and we had the same interests, the same hobbies, uh, and it was insane, right? We had an instant connection that was made through worshiping Jesus, Right, Cameron and I started to look at each other and we're like, man, something's happening here. Like, this is, this is pretty cool. God is doing something. And then another couple came. Yes, more people. So it was, it was crazy. Cameron knew them from taking photos of them at their wedding. And I made an instant connection with them. I remember uh, the moment I met them, I was standing on the front porch there and I saw young people coming and I was like, I have to talk to them. They're not gonna leave before I talk to them. I'm kind of aggressive, I feel like. Um, I'm, I, somehow it worked, right? But I remember just talking to them. I'm being like, I have to be their friends, right? And funny enough, they thought the same thing about us. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so fun. And I invited them to our small group and I was like, you must spend time with me, right? Guys, this community that we have created, that God has ordained, is special. It's inseparable, right? This community pushes one another towards Christ. This is the community we're gonna raise our kids with, that we're gonna retire together, okay? We're gonna do that. And hopefully we're gonna buy a boat together, okay? Please. It's gonna happen, whether you like it or not. Don't shake your head, right? But here's the thing, I feel like this crew could take on the Avengers. We could solve any, any mystery together and we could walk into Mordor with that ring, no problem. Right? That is the power that this fellowship has. Fellowship, guys, is essential. It's a rhythm that we need to adopt. It is life-changing, it is life-giving. And today, God is reminding you that he is a good God that gives good gifts to his kids because he loves you so much. God is prescribing you the gift of fellowship today. But here's the thing, with every prescription, right, comes what? Side effects, right? We get some side effects, um, but these are positive ones, okay? The side effects of fellowship are accountability, the transformation of a heart, a heavy load being eased, the magnetic pull towards our Savior. But you might be hearing my story and be like, Tyler, how do I get there? It kind of hurts that you're like, shoving this in my face, that you have this community, right? I get that. What does fellowship look like? How do we get there? How do we encounter these side effects of fellowship? Let's look back at Acts 2, 42 again. All the believers devoted themselves to fellowship, right? They, they were loyal, 
They, they loved this. This was a rhythm of fellowship. They were loyal to that. There was something that I was super loyal to um, in middle school and high school, and that's soccer. Um, if you've heard me speak, I have a hard time not bringing up soccer in my messages, so here we go again. Um, so every day, when I was in middle school to high school and I went to Mount Vernon Christian, um, I would get my big ball uh, bag of balls, which had seven soccer balls in it, um, and then I would get on my red and yellow mountain bike, and then I would bike to school with this big bag on my back, and I almost fell over. Everybody's looking at me, and like, that kid's kind of weird, and he's obsessed with this soccer thing, right? But every day I would do that. It was a two, three-minute bike ride to my school, and then I would throw all my soccer balls out, and then I wouldn't just shoot, right? Because that's the fun part about soccer, scoring goals, right? But I would dribble, I would sprint and run and condition, and I would juggle and make sure that I was practicing, right? I played in the rain, because it rains a lot here. I, I played in the wind, the scorching heat. No matter what I was there, I was putting in the work because I was loyal to it. This was above and beyond uh, soccer practice. It was during the off season. It was during the season. I was obsessed with it. I put in extra time to pursue this love of my favorite game in the world. I put in extra time. Likewise, fellowship requires you to have a devotion, a love and loyalty, a sacrifice of time. Because fellowship happens Monday through Saturday. It doesn't just happen on Sunday. It doesn't just happen on Wednesday. If you go to youth group, it happens Monday through Saturday, a.k.a. fellowship requires a sacrifice of time. Excuse me. My hope for us as Jesus followers is that this is the rhythm with our fellowship with Jesus, right? Hopefully we're not just following him on Sundays, right? This is not your only time, your only window to pursue Jesus. Being a devout Jesus follower means that we follow him with everything that we got. That means that we give up our time. I'm understanding now that that is the most valuable thing in this world, the most valuable commodity, time. We need to be able to give our time to Jesus, our time to fellowship. Fellowship with other believers requires a similar commitment. Relationships need time, right? You can't just go up to somebody random on the street and say, hey, you wanna be my best friend, right? That's not how that works. Sure you can. <laughs> that was the devotion that the early church in Acts 2 had. Fellowship happens Monday through Saturday, rain or shine. Are you willing to shake up your schedule? Right? Some of us hold it with white knuckles and we do not let our schedule fluctuate. Are you willing to shake up your schedule and give up your time to connect with God, with friends, to block out time to participate in a small group? Please join one, it's life-changing. Where you spend your time shows what you're investing in. So maybe look at your time and how you spread out your time and then you're like, man, I'm investing in some things that are not life-bringing. What's another side effect of fellowship? It says this um, in Acts 2, 42 and 46, all the believers devoted themselves to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Part of the, the culture the early church created was, was filled with food. Who loves food? Come on now, I love food. Opening up homes, connecting over Jesus. Does anybody love to be like the hostess with the mostess and bring people to their homes? 
right? We got some, some hosts in this room, maybe, maybe not. So growing up, this, is, this was our life. This is what we did. Uh, we had weekly dinners with people sometimes. We even called them Tuesday night dinners, right? My Aunt Denise and then random friends would over, always come over. It, it was amazing. And then later um, in my life, when we first started coming here, I think we did it on Thursday nights, and we would invite people uh, to our house uh, from this church to get to know them. Um, and here's the thing. I believe that there's no better way to connect with people over my mom's food, amen? <laughs> if you've had my mom's food, yeah, Come on, it's so good, oh my gosh. I still go over to dinner every week because it's that good and because I love them, obviously. So dinner at the house, my house looked like this. Um, we would start um, by letting the people in. We'd, uh, we'd talk and we'd have a good time connecting and then when the meal was about to start, we would pray um, over that, that meal and then a massive yummy dinner um, we would consume and devour. And then when I was younger, we would um, we'd sing songs. Um, and about Jesus, I'd love to sing uh, Jesus songs and Jesus loves me and all that stuff. And when I got older, we did devotions. But here's, here's the deal, it didn't stop there, okay? We were legit at the house, my house. So my siblings and I, I have an older brother and an older sister, um, we, would, um, we would provide entertainment for the group, okay? So my sister would just quick slap up this playwright and this play for my brother and I to perform. Um, and then we would get props, and I often wore wigs, um, and we performed for people. It was pretty great. Um, it, it, was, it was not great acting. I don't think I would uh, deserve an Oscar, right? But um, it, it was a good time. And looking back at those dinners, my family was not only letting people into their homes, but we were letting them into our lives. Now, being a homeowner myself... Uh, I have the same opportunity to, to host people for dinner. Here's the thing. Um, inviting somebody into your home, I'm realizing, can be quite intimidating. Why? They see the mess. What if the laundry didn't get put away? I'm like a really big mopper. If there's like, if there's Bowie paw prints on the ground, I'm like, it has to leave, right? Like, I've learned to let that go, right? But what if, what if we forgot about the mess? And when you invite someone into your home, you risk the feeling of embarrassment or judgment, the way you painted that, that wall or you decorated or, or the mess in your house. When you invite someone into your life, you risk the feeling of rejection. Someone judging your mess, it can be easy to silo off into our homes and eliminate rejection and fear of people not accepting us. When we exile ourselves, we also eliminate the possibility of connection. We, we eliminate intimacy and fellowship. And this is part of my story. I have a really hard time connecting with new people and I have this intense need for people to think that I am awesome. I just, I try to impress you. I want you to think that I'm like the, the knees bees, all that, the cat's pajamas. I want you to think that about me. It's caused me to, to build a perfect self-image, to not let people into my homes and see the true Tyler, but this is not what fellowship is. Rather, fellowship, come with me for a moment, is sweatpants friends. That's what, uh, that's what fellowship is. It sounds like some people have heard of that, right? Okay. So what are sweatpants friends? You have the ability to wear sweatpants in front of them. Come on, so comfy. I love it. You can have unfolded laundry 
on the couch when they visit. Um, in other words, you can confidently be yourself when you have a mess that is in front of them. This is my favorite part, though. Lastly, sweatpant friends, that's a hard thing to say, have full refrigerator rights, okay? This is important. They have the ability and the permission to hopefully just walk into your home or they have a key or whatever, right? And they walk into your home and they don't have to be like, hey man, can I grab a water? Can I grab a soda? Like, no, you just go into that fridge and you look through that whole thing and you grab what you want. That is refrigerator rights. Who has refrigerator rights in your home? Do you have anybody that can walk into your home and just open the fridge and take a soda out? What about your heart? Does anybody have the ability to come into your life and be like, hey man, how you doing? Let's open this up. And will you actually let them in? Psalm 139, 23 through 24 says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When we engage in fellowship with God, we are saying what the psalmist said, God, search me. I am open. You can know my heart, know my mess, and lead me to wholeness, please. When we engage in fellowship with believers, we are allowing people to speak in our lives and infuse our hearts with Jesus. The way to everlasting. When you open up your home, you open up your heart. Healthy fellowship leads to a healthy heart. When we take the bold step to let Jesus' followers into our homes, into our lives, into our hearts, man, we are led to wholeness, to everlasting. And like we said, when we open up our homes, uh, our lives and hearts to others, there's this potential to see the mess that is inside us, right? The, the sin that is lurking in our hearts. And I find it rather inspiring, right? To be like, just let's be refrigerated friends and my heart is open to you, right? It's really easy to talk about that, but is it really easy to let people in, right? When we have to actually live this out, it can be quite difficult, intimidating, and overwhelming. In Galatians 6.1, it says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. In the scripture, Paul is bringing uh, to light this mess that we encounter as fallen humans. Right? But notice the, the person with the mess is not excluded, they're not exiled, they're not excused from the club. The goal for them is to not be overtaken by this mess, not by the sin, but rather restoration. In Greek uh, culture, a kind of street talk, if you will, there was a term used for restoring. It's called katerizo, which means put in order. And this term was often used in the medical sense when someone came in with a dislocated shoulder. And then it was, uh, which means to put it back into place, right? Imagine if someone went to the doctor with a dislocated shoulder and the doctor denied them because they're like, ah, that looks weird, man, like, I'm uncomfortable with that. I don't wanna put that back. Like, nah, dude, you deal with that yourself, right? I don't wanna do that. Imagine, like, that would be ludicrous. And I wanna call us out for a second because the job of restoration in the church is often neglected. We have 
this tendency, which I do myself to, to either pretend that sin never happened because, ooh, it's uncomfortable, I don't wanna talk about it, let's not talk about hard things. Or we tend to react too harshly towards the one who has sinned. The pendulum is just like swinging from side to side, extreme to extreme. We are leaving people in a spiritually dislocated state and leaving them there because it is uncomfortable for us. It should be normal for us to do what God says, right? But it isn't always that way. It's all too easy to respond to someone's sin with gossip, with harsh judgment, or undeserving approval. And uh, there's been some, some weak moments in my life, and I'm about to tell you about one. Um, I was attending Skagit um, right after high school, um, and there was somebody that I had a class with, and they said that they were a, a Jesus follower, um, and they started talking about this controversial topic, and I was like, that's wrong. Like, you shouldn't think that way. So I am like, oh, I'm gonna tell them that what they're doing is wrong. Like this, your thought process is wrong. So I go up to them and we have this, this conversation and I thought my intention was righteous, right? Showing someone that they were heading down the wrong path. Let's just say the receiver of this conversation did not think that, that they did not think that my intentions were righteous. It was clear that we were not on the same page, things left unresolved. In fact, things unraveled. We were yelling at each other in Skagit and that, that's weird, it doesn't sound like me, right? But for some reason, I was like, I'm gonna call this person out, right? I ran to that conversation being led by myself. The way that I was thinking, the way that I thought was right. I came with anger, and it was directed at a stranger. That kind of rhymes, it's pretty cool, right? Anger di directed at a stranger. But here's the thing, candid conversations, Conversations that have conflict, when we, when we restore people, needs to be led by the Spirit, not by ourselves. That's key number one. And then what does it say in that scripture? Restore them with gentleness. And I, what I would say is that we need to restore brothers and sisters in Christ that we have relationships. It doesn't make sense to go up to random people and say, you're wrong, you need to fix this, blah, blah, blah. Fellowship, even though it's not always fun, requires us to enter into candid conversations. How are we to engage in these candid conversations as Jesus followers, right? Because there needs to be some guardrails for this type of, of conversation. As I mentioned earlier, I love soccer. We're gonna talk about it a little bit more, right? I love to watch the game. I think it's like the most beautiful thing ever, right? But there's a lot of people out there that disagree with that. And I'm, I know, that's not cool gotta get on this, this bus, okay? But what is the reason why they don't like to watch the game that I love? The biggest complaint is they're floppers. They fall down and they're drama queens, right? Look at him. <laughs> he just looks like he went through the hardest event in his entire life. It, the biggest complaint is that soccer players flop. They fall down when nobody touches them, right? They, they give an Oscar-worthy performance when someone taps them on the shoulder, ah, right? That's what happens. These players at the slightest touch, they fall down. They break down at the slightest encounter with conflict, but here's the thing, when we encounter candid conversation, when we encounter uh, conflict, we can act like these guys, right? 
The idea of being called out. Who loves that? Super fun. Who loves being wrong? <laughs> That's a good time. No, he's not. Messi's not that way. He knows. Right? What happens when conflict happens, right? We break down and we sit in our defensiveness, right? We always have an excuse. We always say, this is why. This is, this is why I don't, you're looking at me the wrong way. That's not my intention, right? We always are, are like these guys. I shouldn't say always, but, but we tend to have this response. How many of us are comfortable with conflict? How many of us run to it, want it? Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. You and I need to find a comfort in conflict. We have a heart that needs to put back together, that should not stay dislocated. And it is okay for somebody to call it out. We need to be people that are bold enough to speak candidly. There are people in our lives that need their heart put back in order, and it's okay for you to call that out. All right, candid conversation is full of conflict, but it requires the balancing ingredient of gentleness. So um, if you haven't heard, um, Cameron and I are expecting our first child, and I'm so excited. I'd like, if you talk to me, this is probably all I talk about, because I can't wait to be a dad, right? Um, it's, it's gonna be a good time. I'm gonna have one of these in a little bit. Isn't she so cute? Oh my gosh. But I'm terrified too. I am scared, right? This baby is like in my hands. Like I, the one, I'm the one who like has to take care of it, right? This little life is gonna be so precious. It's so delicate, right? My understanding is that my baby's gonna cry sometime, right? Is that true? Okay. Like twice maybe, Right? There will be times where she is not happy and times where she needs my help, right? To reach a peace, to reach calmness. And my heart for my daughter is that when she is crying, man, I love this girl so much and I have never met her, it's insane. When she's crying, when she's hurting, when she's confused, when she's heartbroken someday and lost, hopefully that she can be brought to a place where she finds wholeness again. That is my heart for my daughter. The goal will always to be restoration, right? And the desire for restoration comes from an understanding that I have encountered pain and pain is not fun, right? I've encountered that and I've encountered heartbreak and I don't want her to experience that. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Candid conversation and fellowship needs to be covered in gentleness, and gentleness suggests that we have a sense of our own weakness and proneness to sin. It comes from an understanding that we've messed up. It doesn't come from an understanding that I'm better than you and I'm gonna tell you how it is. No, you have messed up and you don't want them to mess up. That is the heart of this gentleness. When we embark in candid conversations, we call out sin and seek restoration because we know the effect that sin has on our heart, and it is not a good one. Gentleness guards us against the temptation of pride. Sin does this thing where it leads us the opposite direction of Christ. Candid conversation leads us back to our Savior. 
That's why this is important. I know it can be uncomfortable. I know it's not always fun to say, man, what you're doing is not okay, but it is important. There is eternity at stake. Don't take lightly your role in the restoration of others. Speak up, please, but speak gently. Lastly, um, I wanna talk about this idea of carrying burdens. Uh, one of my favorite movies, I, I watch this all the time. It's called Dan in Real Life. And the main character, Dan, he's carrying a really heavy burden. He lost his wife. And he has three daughters that he is raising by himself. And it's a rom-com, so he's in like a weird love season and he's trying to figure this out, right? He's trying uh, to cope with his situation and he brings one of his daughters and, and a niece and a nephew to a lighthouse. And I wanna watch a clip real quick from this movie. So let's check it out. Life is full of disappointment, big and sometimes even bigger. So, what's it gonna be? The lighthouse or the whaling museum? Your pick. Do you know why we have lighthouses? Because they're neat. That's right, yes. And also because they help when it's dark out. They uh, help keep boats safe and keep us from crashing into the rocks. Because when you're out there and you're being tossed back and forth by those big dark waves and you think that you'll never feel land again and that you could just split into a million pieces and sink down all the way down deep, it's the light that keeps us on course. It's the light. Dad, are you okay? Of course I'm okay. So Dan, with pain in his heart, you can just hear it in the way that he's talking, explains what the purpose of a lighthouse is. He says a lighthouse helps boat, boats when it's dark out, right? Keeps boats from crashing, gives them hope when that they will see uh, land and that they will put their feet on land once again. And while he's explaining this, you, you can tell that he is in a, in a search for a lighthouse, right? Metaphorically, his life is falling apart. He is feeling like he's going to crash, like he never will set his feet on land again. And then his daughter asks him, Dad, are you okay? He replies, of course I'm okay. Galatians 6, 2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians is commanding us to be burden bearers. We need to be others focused. In other words, God is asking us to take on the role of a lighthouse. We are to be a light for people in the darkness, keep them from crashing, speak hope into their lives when there is none. Look out for people, see their struggle, and help them with it. Burden bearing is a part of fellowship, and there is assumption behind this command that everybody has burdens, and these burdens are not meant to be carried alone. All of us, everybody in this room is walking through something where we feel burdened with. Who in your life is carrying a burden that you can carry with them? Everybody. What if you are the one carrying the burden like our friend Dan, though? Right? We, we, we are meant to be others focused, but there's the reality that you are bearing a burden yourself. 
I thought it was interesting. His daughter asks him, Dad, are you okay? Because she can sense something's off. And he replies, of course I'm okay, but we know that he's not, right? This command to bear one another's burdens can be looked from the opposite angle. You are commanded to let that burden go. Today I want you, uh, I want to encourage you to be transparent and let go. Be honest with people uh, when they ask you how you are doing and let them know how you are and let them step up, right? How many people, I do it all the time, they're like, hey man, how you doing? I'm like, I'm great. Inside, I'm like, I'm terrible. I just need somebody to talk to, right? Part of the problem is we are not willing to let it go. Let people step up. You are letting them fulfill what the Bible is telling them to do by letting them step up and carry your burden with you. Can I remind you that there's a God who loves you, who promises to take the load and provide a peace that passes all understanding. I want that. And there's a community, a fellowship of people that have been been commanded to be burden bearers. We need to allow people to honor the call that God has given them. What is that call? It says this in John 13, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When we engage in fellowship, ultimately we are honoring the commands that Jesus has for our lives, that we need to love one another. And today, just to end this, I I wanna remind you that you are loved. This is something that I often say to the youth students as as we end our time, you are loved. You are so loved by God. Now it's time to go love other people. It doesn't stop at you being loved. You get to go love other people now. Let's pray. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital connect card at thehubcitychurch.com slash connect. We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life. 